Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is your host, Hal Elrod. And today we are talking with Laura Vanderkam, who is one of, if not the most prolific time management expert you'll ever find. She is the author of not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six time management and productivity books, which, you know, you think about like focusing all in on one topic. Most authors, right? They write like Seth Godin has a book on marketing and a book on building a community and a book on this and that. All of Laura's books are focused on this one topic. And so that's why I say she's one of the most prolific experts in the realm of time management. Now, some of her books include Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, I Know How She Does It, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, which is actually the book that I discovered her over 10 years ago when I was writing The Miracle Morning, I discovered that book. She also wrote a book called 168 Hours, You Have More Time Than You Think, and her brand new book is called Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters Most. And that is what we're going to talk about today is she actually, we're going to go into all five, five, all nine of these rules that Laura has established for calming the chaos, for not just being more productive, but being productive in a way where you're doing things that bring you joy, doing things that help you live a fulfilling life. And that's what I really liked about this book and these nine rules that we're going to talk about today is it's not just about getting more of your to-do list done. It's like, no, 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 no. How do you really focus on arranging your time And putting rituals and routines in place that will allow you to not just get the to-do list done, but really live a fulfilling life. Her work has appeared in publications including New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company at Fortune. She is the host of the podcast Before Breakfast and the co-host with Sarah Hardinger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. And she lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and five children. And she blogs at Laura vandercam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-K-A-M.com if you want to continue getting time management strategies from Laura. Before we dive into the episode today, which a lot of fun, like I said, it really was cool to talk to someone that is such a well-rounded expert on a singular topic. So before we dive in though, I want to thank our sponsors, First and foremost, our longtime sponsor, Organifi, who makes the highest quality whole food, nutritional, plant-based supplements in powder form. So you can put a scoop into your smoothie or water or juice, and they make products, everything from resting in the evening, their product gold, to improving your skin and your hair and your nails with their product glow. I've told you my wife raves about that one, to their Famous green juice, which is how they got the whole thing started, where you can get all of your nutrients and all your vitamins in one scoop every single day. 
If you want to improve your health, head over to Organifi.com forward slash Hal. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, Organifi.com forward slash Hal. And then use the code Hal, H-A-L, at checkout. And as a listener of the podcast, you'll get 20% off your entire order. And last but not least, our newest sponsor, Cured Nutrition, C-U-R-E-D, Cured Nutrition. They make also high-quality, whole food-based supplements. The difference is that all of their supplements, I, I don't know if it's all of them, I think it's all of them, most of them, include CBD as the base, the foundation to make all of the other ingredients work better. My two favorite products, of course, I mention these every week, Rise, R-I-S-E, I take that in the morning. It's a nootropic, helps you with your mental clarity and focus. And then in the evening, I take Nightcaps, and Nightcaps includes 30 milligrams of CBD, which has a resting and relaxation effect, and five milligrams of CBN oil, which is more of a sedative effect. So that really helps put you to sleep and keep you asleep. And I've been sleeping better than I have in a long time, and I wake up feeling refreshed. Again, that's Rise, I take in the morning, and nightcaps in the evening. Head over to curednutrition.com forward slash Hal, curednutrition.com forward slash Hal, and then same code H-A-L at checkout. And as a listener of the podcast, you also get 20% off of anything and everything at curednutrition.com forward slash Hal. I hope either Organifi or Cured Nutrition or the best of both worlds like I've been taking advantage of enhance your life in many ways. All right, goal achievers and members of the Miracle Morning community, we're gonna talk about nine ways to improve your time management with the one and only time management expert, Laura Vanderkam. Hey, Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You mentioned uh, this being a high energy conversation, and I'm all about high energy conversation. So let's uh, we'll both take it up a notch. We are both going to be as high energy as we possibly yeah. can. It's still before <laughs> noon. It's still technically morning, right? So it's we don't still have that, technically morning. That so we've got that fatigue. going for us. Yes. So I'm. Ex- I mentioned this to you before we started recording that. This time management, which you're arguably one of the world's leading experts in, right? This is your sixth book that you just wrote on that topic. You know, most people write a book on a topic and then maybe they write another book on another topic. Uh, So I love that you have not doubled down, not tripled down, not. You know, right? I mean, what are we quintuple? Six, six, six tuple down. Six tuple down. I don't know. Is that even down. a word? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. So, so that's that'd be like if I wrote six books on morning routines, right? Which is, you know, your depth of knowledge in this space uh, has to be pretty extraordinary. So I'm excited. I was watching this morning your YouTube video titled "How to Gain Control of Your Free Time," which has a pretty extraordinary 7.4 million. Views. What year did you record that, by the way? Yeah, so I did a TED Talk in 2016, and that's what that video is. So it's exciting. It got 7 million views on YouTube, and I think it got like 13 million over on the TED site. So that's that's kind of awesome as well. You know, that's incredible. It, it apparently, people think a lot about how they would like to spend their free time, usually yeah. wishing we had more of it. But uh, So you said something in that. I wrote this down, a quote that you said. You said, uh, we don't build the lives we want by saving time. We build the lives we want, and then time saves itself. That is a profound statement, and I don't really know what it means. So um, (laughs) (laughs) for, for everybody listening, I'll say it again. We don't build the lives we want by saving time. 
We build the lives we want and then time saves itself. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So when people decide that they want to spend their time better, almost inevitably, they focus on how they can spend less time on various things that they do not wish to be doing. And if you read a lot of time management literature, you'll see it's often structured this way. Like we're going to help our readers, our viewers, our listeners find an extra hour in the day by shaving bits of time off all this stuff that you don't want to do. And so then you get these somewhat ridiculous hacks. Like, you know, if you send a lot of emails where the answer is okay, just type K instead of okay. Like, woohoo, now I'm going to have this great life because I've been typing K instead of okay in my emails. Obviously, it does not work like that, right? Like, you you do not achieve something awesome and amazing and enjoy your life by typing K instead of okay in your emails. Like, even if you send a vast quantity of emails, we're much better off focusing on the question of what we want to spend more time doing in our lives, what we would like to fill our lives with what is meaningful and enjoyable for ourselves and the people we care about. And I find that when we put those things into our lives, we pretty naturally spend less time don't wish to do, you know, whether we found cool email hacks for sending okay instead of okay or not, we are spending less time on those things just because the stuff that's awesome is taking so much time that it crowds out the rest of the stuff. I mean, we only have 24 hours in a day, so you're always pushing against things and you want to make sure that more of those hours are filled with the good stuff. That makes sense. So instead of trying to like save time so you have more time to do things you want, just schedule the things that you want to do that fill you up, that light you up, and then that kind of crowds out the unnecessary or unproductive busy work. Yeah. And we've all had that experience, right? Like when you're deeply involved in a work project, for instance, and you're very excited about it and you're feeling like, wow, I just keep making progress and this is great and I'm finding new things. Like you're not checking your email six times in a row and reading things that you didn't want to. And like, you just don't because your time is more valuably spent on this cool stuff. And, you know, it happens in our personal lives too. That is interesting. You just, when you said that, I... A personal experience that I've had is I don't know what the shift was, but some similar to what you're talking about years ago, I just like I'm always behind on emails now. I'm always behind on emails, right? And and I and I have like three of my inboxes are managed by other people, and I can't even keep with my inbox. Like those inboxes are great. My executive assistant she handles like she's inbox zero daily. I'm not, and it used to like irk me and make me feel inadequate or incomplete. And then I just got to where it's like. If, if I don't answer all my emails, I'm at peace with that. And if something's crucial, that person will email me again. And I often tell people when I'm like, I'm like, hey, by the way, you're never bothering me. Feel free to email me repeatedly until I respond. But yeah, but it's just that, that less important activity where, but I'm making sure that the exercise is done every day and you know the most important things moving towards my goals. I heard in one of your interviews, uh, one of your videos I saw, that you were once late to your own speech on time management. Is that a true story? <laughs> it, it is totally true. And and not only did it happen that time that I was talking about in the video, it happened recently, like two months ago. And, okay. and it's always a little bit awkward because <laughs> you are being introduced as the time management expert and you are racing in disheveled and five minutes late. Yeah. But you know you can't control everything in life. You can control some things in life. You can control a great many things. But I think what many of us have discovered, and, and this is actually an important aspect of, of time management, anyone can create a perfect schedule. Where you really show your time management 
that you you are an expert here is if you are able to create a resilient schedule where the mm. vast majority of things keep happening even when life doesn't go as planned. And I will admit it's been funny and slightly ironic to be five minutes late to a time management speech, but I do work to try to figure out, well, if something is going to go wrong, what is my backup plan? And, and you know this, when you're traveling for speeches, you can't control all the airlines, you can't control the weather, you can't control all this, but you control what you can. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally true. What so let's start with the problems, right? What like in terms of what are the problems with how people spend their time? Why do people struggle? Why do people feel overwhelmed? Why do they feel busy? What are the problems that we got to figure out how to solve? Well, I wish it were just as simple as like we get too many emails. I mean, that would be awesome if that was the problem and then we could solve that. Yeah. But I think the biggest problem is more general, which is that people spend time mindlessly. Like we mm. don't think mm. about how we intend to spend our time. And the nature of time is that it keeps passing even if you don't think about it. Like one way or the other, a week from now, this next week will be in the past. Like you could do nothing. You could plan to do nothing. You could just meander through life, um, you know, fulfilling your biological needs and nothing else. And it will still pass. It's like all our money was burned at the end of every single day is basically yeah. how time works. And because of that, it is so hard to get a grip on it and to direct it where we wish to go. And again, some things we cannot control, but a good number of things we can when we get in the habit of designating a weekly planning time, thinking about what's most important to happen over the upcoming week, thinking when we you know, will do those things, thinking what logistical problems might arise in the course of doing those things, making a solution for those things and holding ourselves accountable for it. So yeah, I want to cover the the nine or at least as many as we can get to the nine ways to calm the chaos and make time for what matters at the subtitle of your new book. I have a question though that just came up for me that's related to time management in terms of you mentioned that time is going to pass, right? You can do nothing and the day will go by, the week will go by, right? So so time is going to pass. So I'm almost curious. I want I, I'm curious as to your take on almost the esoteric spiritual perspective that time is a construct. What I mean specifically is right that the only moment that exists is this moment, right? The past doesn't exist, the future doesn't exist yet. It's always I'm really thinking of kind of Eckhart Tolle, the power of now concept. So I'm curious your thoughts on time as it relates to only really existing in this moment and how that relates to managing time. Is it really managing time? Is it managing tasks? Is it like, how do you correlate those two? Yeah, we're going to get philosophical here. Yeah. It may be true that the only, you know, the current moment is what is mattering. And then we can dive down. How big is the current moment, right? Is it a second? Is it a proportion of a second? Is mm. it a moment? I don't know. What is our working memory construct there? Uh, so there's a lot we could go down into a angels dancing on a head of a pen there. <laughs> that may be true, but I think that Time is a very useful construct. Mm. It may be a construct, but it's an incredibly useful one in the sense of maybe the future is completely unknowable, but my kid is planning on me picking him up at school at three. So I should probably manage to make that happen. Yeah. You know, we can't live in this world without thinking about what will happen in the near future, what needs to happen, what we would like to have happen, and anything we need to do to make those pieces all fit together. I also think actually that time in the past winds up being a useful construct as well. Mm. I mean, it may be gone. It may be yeah. over. Maybe nothing yeah. we can do to change it. So we probably don't need to worry too much about it. But much of our life is memory. 
like much of our self-concept is memory, much of what we think of, you know, have I had a good life? It's based on memory. And the more we can do to create interesting memories, the more we can do to create enjoyable memories will give us a richer and fuller life in the present. And so we can guide our actions in the present toward thinking about what future us will want to be looking back on, right? Mm. That what gifts we can give our future self in terms of what we were doing now to create interesting memories for future you to be comforted by. Yeah. Yeah, there's right if you if you lived in a world or circumstances where you could do nothing and everything would be taken care of for you, right? Then I think it's easier to enter that into time is just a construct and I live in the now and right? But it's like you, you, okay, but do you have a plan for picking up your kid? And and do you have and, and like tomorrow you're meeting with a client or you have a project due like so to your point, like in the world that we live in you can get all esoteric if you want, but the practical application of how you manage your time can be the the difference maker in the quality of your life and whether or not you achieve your goals and all those things. So, so let's talk about the solutions, right? The new book, Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. One thing that I, I read is you had 150 people implement these nine... Uh, you call them rules in the book. The nine rules, you had them do that for nine weeks. What were the results from that? I mean, what a cool thing, by the way, that you didn't just write the book and go, here you go. You Part of writing the book was having 150 people before the book was ever released to actually go out there and and implement these nine rules and see what happened. So talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you write self-help for busy people. You want to make sure that it actually works. Uh, yeah. So that's that was my goal there. I realized over the years that I had been giving a lot of the same time management advice to people that I, I've seen thousands of schedules. People have shared them with me. They ask for feedback. I found that even people in very different professions, people in different phases of life, I was often saying similar things like, oh, it would help you if you did this. And so I started keeping a list of what is this. And this honed down to nine rules, we can call them. If you don't like the word rules, just call them strategies, ideas, anything else that uh, doesn't sound quite so constraining if that's going to go to bother people. Yeah. But anyway, to hone this down to nine ideas that I think are incredibly useful. And then to make sure that they truly were useful, I recruited people to try them out. So for the Tranquility by Tuesday project, I had 150 people learn these nine rules over the course of nine weeks. Each week, they would learn a new rule. They would answer questions about how they planned to implement the rule in their lives. They would report back a week later about how the rule went. Hmm. As this was going, I was measuring them on various dimensions. So, you know, I have a time satisfaction scale that people were giving themselves ratings on in the course of the, the project. And the good news is it does appear that these rules work. With our survey, we found that when people followed the rules over the nine weeks, their time satisfaction score on the scale of 13 questions rose 16%, which, you know, it's not doubling, yeah. but you know, anyone in the money management field would be pretty excited to get a good return on investment. Yeah. 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 Pretty good return on investments over nine weeks of work. So, you know, I think people should view it that way. Like anyone who volunteered to do this, like they're not living in a disaster. Mm. Like the people who are interested in trying out rules like this, who want to see how it works in their lives, they already have a lot of the good pieces of life in place, right? Like they're probably getting where they need to go at the right time. They're meeting their deadlines. You know, their kids are getting picked up at 3 p.m. because they're not, you know, convinced that now is all that matters. Like they are actually making life work. It's that they want to feel better about their time. 
Like they want to get that one extra edge that could, you know, make them feel more like they are achieving their goals. And so that's where that 16% comes in, that people who even are doing a lot of really great stuff can can take their lives to awesome. Yeah. Okay. Explain the title, Tranquility by Tuesday. Where'd you come up with that? Why that title? Well, it really started with Tuesday because Tuesday is the most normal day of the week. Okay. Right. Like, so Monday's got its bad baggage, like Friday, like fun Friday, and the yeah, weekends yeah. are entirely different. So, so Tuesday is a very normal day. And as for the concept of tranquility, I was really trying to get at this sense that a lot of people have that life is like complex. There's so many moving parts. It's, it's almost like a, a three ring circus, right? That you're, you're managing all these pieces and it feels complex and occasionally chaotic. And we want to feel good about our time. We want to feel good about our lives. Like there are things that we are genuinely looking forward to, even in the midst of all that. So we want to achieve tranquility. Yeah. And we want to have it on Tuesday. Like I don't want to, not looking forward to a vacation, not looking forward to a weekend. I mean, now, right? Like now in our everyday lives. Yeah. Beautiful. You're so obviously you've got your TED talk that has 7 million views or 20 million views if you include both sites, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're like, I, I, I was counting for a while. <laughs> What'd you say? I was counting for a while. Like, woo, let me see. <laughs> yeah, no, that's off the charts. But uh, actually, before we get into this, let me ask you the your TED talk uh, specifically, how to gain control of your free time. What was the premise of that message? And how has it evolved into this new now that you're you've and you've also written five? I mean, that's actually my, I guess that's a bigger question is between your TED talk and the five books you've written on time management, what were the premise of those? And then how has it evolved to this new book? Yeah, well, this is always the challenge, right? I want to continue to say something new. Sure. And we are always just dissecting the 24 hours of a day, the 168 hours of a week. And so we're trying to come up with a new angle, like some different way to think about time. And so... The good news is that I think because time is the building blocks of our lives, there is always something new to say about it. There's always some way we can think about how to spend our time differently, some goal we are trying to achieving. And so, you know, I've looked at different things. I've looked at mornings. I looked at how, in particular, professional women who are raising children at the same time, how they spent their time, because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of sort of cultural narratives about that. And I wanted to counter some of those. I wrote a book called 168 Hours, which was looking at thinking of time in a week. Okay. Right? We often think of yeah. our lives in days, but we actually live our lives in weeks. And so we want to try and think of time as that. And so really Tranquility by Tuesday is, is an extension of all of those, but a new way of like, you know, if I'm going to do some small things, if I want to adopt some new habits that would help me spend my life better, what would those be? Like what specifically would those be? And what did it look like when other people adopted those habits? Because the bulk of the book is the people in my study talking about what impact these rules had on their lives. If they gave themselves a bedtime, what effect did that have on their energy and their motivation for the all the things they had to do? If they started planning big and little adventures into their lives, what did that do in terms of how they thought of themselves and in terms of the memories they were making? Yeah, that makes sense. And it really is. I'm looking at this list, which you can see, you know, I'm on your Amazon page and you see all nine of the habits are broken down. And that is actually the word, the title, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos. It really is not, it really is, it could be called nine habits, right? So nine rules, nine habits, whatever resonates with somebody. 
Let's start with the first one I see here. Give yourself a bedtime. It says go to sleep about the same time every night unless you have a good reason not to. I'm a big proponent of that, right? I talk about that in the Miracle Morning that, you know, that consistency, it tells you you're programming your nervous system to say like to always be tired at the same time and the same thing with waking up at the same time. So talk about that habit of giving yourself a bedtime. Why is that beneficial? How should somebody implement it? Well, as you know, a lot of people don't sleep that way, right? Yeah. That they have sleep that is all over the map. I've, I've found from time diary studies that most people are in fact sleeping enough from a quantitative perspective over the course of the week. But what often happens is that they are undershooting some nights and then they are overshooting other days. So you're either exhausted or it's hard to maintain good habits if you you know can't really control what time you are sleep, you know, waking up in the morning or you're crashing on the couch at night. It's, it's just hard to maintain good habits when you are not sleeping in an orderly way. And so since many adults can't necessarily change too much the time they wake up because of work or family responsibilities, that's sure. sort of set in the morning, right? You can't necessarily sleep in in the morning. The only variable that can change is the time you go to bed the night before. And so that's what we need to look at. Most people set their alarm for a certain time in the morning. They don't necessarily set an alarm to go to bed yeah. the night before. But why not? Like, totally. I think we should. We should have a time we are aiming to be in bed, a time you start winding down in order to make that bedtime possible. And, you know, we're adults. Like, if you have a good reason to blow through your bedtime, like, or be my date guest. night or date you know, night, you, I don't know, you got concert tickets somewhere, like, enjoy yourself. That is sure. awesome. But, if you are just sitting around scrolling around on your phone, like turn it off. Know that your bedtime is coming up. You want to get in bed. You will thank yourself in the morning. It's about that. But I would, you know, all these rules have a deeper reason too. Like I want people to be well rested, and that in and of itself is amazing. But yeah. most of us know the day has a beginning. We are a little bit fuzzier on the notion that a day has an end, but it does. Sure. Every day has an end. And you can make a lot of choices about what you do with that, I don't know, 16 to 17 hours that you happen to be awake. But if you have it structured, so you know, this is when I wake up, this is when I go to bed, you can start working with it in a more mindful fashion. It's like playing Tetris, like you know the shape, you know, you're just moving things around within it to make the game work. Totally, totally. It makes sense. And I'm, I'm yeah, I'm a big proponent. I have a bedtime alarm, uh, right? That, you know, I, uh, and, it, and it is, a, it's a whole process of like, okay, at this time, I take my, you know, vitamins before bed. And then 30 minutes later, I go to my room and I start reading a book and so on and so forth. All right. So the second rule is plan on Fridays. Think about your week or think through your weeks holistically before you're in them. Talk about that. Why Friday? And what does that planning session look like that people should be scheduling? So I think that this rule really encompasses two things. I mean, one is to plan, which is the most important part of it. I think everyone needs a designated weekly planning time. Mm. The reason for weekly is that we live our lives in weeks. Sure. Uh, the, the 168 hours is truly the unit of repeat in the pattern of our lives. You know, we don't just live on Tuesdays. We don't just live on Saturdays. We got all of them. So let's yeah. look at all of them as we are, are planning. So plan your life in weeks. And by having a set time, it's the same thing as giving yourself a bedtime. It becomes a habit. You know that on Fridays, I think about my life. You know, I think about what I need to do, what I want to do, and I make it happen. As for Friday, there's a couple of reasons for this. I mean, one, if you work sort of a Monday through Friday job, as, as mm -hmm. many people do, by Friday afternoon, the time is really, you know, what an economist would call a low opportunity cost time. Like most mm -hmm. people are not 
saying, I am excited to make progress on my personal and professional priorities at 3 p.m. on Friday. Woohoo! You know, yeah. like we just don't do that. We're sliding into the weekend. And so it's very easy to waste that time, but you might be willing to think about what future you should be doing. And by doing that, you can turn what would be wasted time into some of your most productive minutes of the week. It allows you to use Monday. Most people have more energy at the start of things than they mm. do later on. And so if you wait to plan your weeks till Monday morning, which I know a lot of people do, it's really hard to use Monday then mm. with all of it available to you. Like most things won't start until later in the day, Monday. And if you, you know, Friday is a lost cause, we only have three real work days then. Yeah. So you want to be able to use Monday. It's better than Sunday for the reason that if you need to make appointments or meetings or send emails, like those are generally better received mm. on Friday than they sure. are on Sunday night. and. Also, just people who like their jobs can still on Sunday afternoon start feeling a little bit of trepidation about Monday morning because you know all this stuff is waiting for you, but you don't know exactly what you're going to do, how you're going to deal with it. If you plan the upcoming week on Friday, you can relax because you know there's a plan for Monday morning. That's a great point. It it does give you that, oh, I can relax over the weekend. I don't even have to think about work because on Friday, I already planned what's going to happen this week, right? I think that's great. When do you... Do you mentioned Friday at 3 p.m. Is that typically... Do you do Friday afternoon, Friday morning? Do you have a preference? I think for many people, Friday afternoon is a good time just because it tends to be less scheduled. Most people are not really having a whole lot of meetings and things by Friday afternoon, but it can be Friday morning. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Sure. It's whatever works for you, just as long as it happens. I mean, yeah. the, the the actual time is is what it is. It's that you want to make sure that you set a time that you can reasonably stick to. Yeah, I personally, I'm just thinking here out loud, I would probably choose Friday morning just for people listening to consider. And the reason is, for first of all, I'm brain dead in the afternoon, right? Like I always joke, you know, miracle morning, mediocre evening or whatever, right? So, so in the morning, I've got more mental clarity. But also what I like about that is if you plan Friday morning, create your plan, now it's going to be in your subconscious mind all day on Friday which will give you opportunities to go in and, ooh, ooh, I thought of something else. Ooh, I thought it right. And go in and revise it, go in and update, go in and fine tune it, go in and perfect it. So by the end of the day, Friday, you've really got it figured out and that clarity for the following week. So you can go relax and uh, mindlessly, if you will, enjoy the week and not have to think about work. The third rule that you have is move by 3 p.m. You said do some form of physical activity for 10 minutes in the first half of every day. Now, I would argue do this move by 8 a.m. Like that'd be my recommendation. But, but talk about the morning person. Yes. <laughs> What'd you say? I said you are the morning person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But talk about the, this rule and how it relates to time management. Because, like, when I face value, I'm like, well, that's great for exercise. Right. But, but why am I moving by 3 p.m.? How is that helping me better manage my time? Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I think morning exercising is awesome. It's a great way to start your day. And I know a lot of your listeners probably have incredible morning routines that involve wonderful amounts of exercise. And that is great. That may be intimidating to a certain number of people who are just discovering this idea of thinking about how to spend their lives. And if you don't have a every single day morning exercise thing built in, which many people can't, if they have travel for work, if their kids wake up at varying times, if they have phone calls with people in Asia or something on some mornings and not in others, it can be, it just, it's harder for some people to build in every single morning exercise, but the perfect doesn't need to be the enemy of the good. I just want people to do some sort of physical activity. And by doing it in the first half of the day, it nudges you to think through when you can take a break. 
I mean, many people do very sedentary sorts of work these days. Now, if you are cutting wood for a living, like you are already doing this, like you don't need to worry about this rule. But if you are not, if you are in a sedentary sort of job, this is going to nudge you to take a 10 minute walk break at some point in your day. And that is going to have a couple of amazing effects. I mean, one, it's going to give you a lot more energy, right? There's pretty good evidence that even doing small amounts of physical activity can boost our energy for quite a while afterwards. So you're going to find yourself just able to handle things better. You are going to be able to do your work without slamming coffee all afternoon. You are going to be more pleasant to be around if you take a real break and get out and get some physical activity. If you haven't done it by 3 p.m., this nudge, 3 p.m. is when people's energy hits a low in the course of the day. So that's a really good time to do it if you haven't. But even thinking about just the aspect of time, this forces you to be strategic. Like a lot of people just wind up, you know, you're on Zoom call one, Zoom call two, or if you're in meetings at your office or, you know, meeting with patients or whatever it is, this forces you to look through your day and say, well, where could I engineer some space? And once you have that mindset, of like, I'm looking at my day as a whole. I'm looking at it ahead of time. I'm looking at where I can make decisions about my time. Like that is a very good strategic mindset for pretty much anything you want to do. Yeah, agreed. And mentioning like the energy and doing it in the middle of the day, it reminds me what I used to do is my lunch break, I'd have an hour lunch break and I would eat the first 30 minutes. And then I would go, I would right next door, we had a park next to our house and I would go and I love playing basketball. And so I would take my shirt off, I would go and I would just shoot around for like 15 minutes, but it helped get the digestive process going, right? You're, you're boosting up your metabolism. I got my vitamin D from the sun right out there and, the, you know, also boosted the, the physical endurance so that I had more energy throughout the day, right? So, and it was just a really nice break in that middle of the day. So if you're listening again, just different options, something to consider right on your lunch break, go for that 10 minute walk, get some fresh air, get some sunshine, get your heart rate up, right? And, and you'll benefit on so many levels. All right, so there were, so we have three rules so far. Just to review, and then we'll go on to the fourth. Give yourself a bedtime. Again, if you're listening, right? Don't just listen, implement. Give yourself a bedtime. Number two, plan. And if you need, by the way, a bedtime alarm to remind you, like, you know, for me, it used to be like it was one hour before bed and it was start winding down for your, you know, 9 p.m. bedtime or whatever. Second rule, plan on Fridays. And I love that if you're not doing that, if you don't have a weekly planning time, schedule 30 minutes, 60 minutes, could be Friday morning like I suggested or Friday afternoon, anytime on Friday. Love that idea. And then move your body by 3 p.m. And even if you do a morning, miracle morning exercise ritual, consider incorporating a midday break where you get outside and you get some fresh air. And again, you you just clear your mind after you've been staring at your computer for six hours or four hours or whatever. All right, fourth habit or fourth rule, three times a week is a habit. This is interesting. I've never heard really this talked about. You said things don't have to happen daily to become part of your identity and often can be more doable than always. So talk about that. Three times a week is a habit. Yeah. Well, we talked about how a week is the right unit to think of time in. And when we're thinking about a week, we see how much space we have that, you know, things can happen often, 
even if they don't happen every single day. And if you're only looking at a day, then many days you're like, oh, I didn't do it. I'm horrible. I'm terrible. I didn't stick with whatever it is. But yeah. you know, for a lot of stuff, it doesn't actually have to happen every single day. And I know probably many of your listeners are the people who do have these seven mornings a week morning routine. And that's awesome if you do. But I found that even many people who talk about having an amazing morning routine, they're talking about doing it Monday through Friday, yeah, which is five times a week, right? Yeah. That's not seven. Sure. Like it's not every day. And sometimes, you know, it's more like four, like Friday, for whatever reason, doesn't wind up in the, the everyday category. Like, you know, we're, people can think they do stuff regularly, even if it only happens, say, four times a week or so. So yeah. I think three is a doable amount. Yep. And often for things that people are thinking that these are whatever you're talking about in your life that you want to do more of, like you think, you know, it's important, means a lot to you, but it's hard to do because life is busy. So maybe it's family meals. Maybe it's practicing a musical instrument or practicing a foreign language. Maybe it's some sort of spiritual pursuit that you're doing. Like you can feel discouraged if there's not a perfect time to do this every single day. And sometimes yeah. people just give up. They're like, I can't, you know, as I'm too busy with work and the family and everything. I say, but can you find three times a week? Yeah. And often when people ask this question, they discover they may even be doing it once or twice a week, right? Like they're, you know, they're not doing it every day, but they're doing it some. Yeah. And if the goal is three times a week, like we're just talking small tweaks. We're not talking a total lifestyle overhaul. Sure. You can get to this. I mean, you want to eat family meals, but nobody's serving a pot roast at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Like you can say, okay, well, we generally are in fact eating together on Sunday nights and we seem to be eating together most Friday nights. So all we have to do is find one more meal in the course yeah. of the week. Yeah. Now, we are a family that eats together, right? This can be part of your identity. And yeah. so I, people love this role. They're like, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can become the kind of person who practices a musical instrument. I can become the kind of person who has a, you know, a regular spiritual practice. I don't have to do the same time every single day. And I can't in my life, but yeah. I can do this. Yeah, I love that because it addresses a mentality that I think we all suffer from, which is the all or nothing mentality. Right. Or and the perfectionist mentality. If I can't do it all, you know, every day, or if I can't, if it's not perfect, I'm just not going to do it. And you're giving people permission that, hey, something is better than nothing. Some is better than none, right? And, and there are certain things that I do where I have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday rhythm. So for me, that is my three days a week. I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I have certain things I just do Tuesday, Thursday. And of course, things I just do Saturday, Sunday, right? And some is better than none. I like that. All right. Number five, the fifth rule, create a backup slot. So you said make a resilient schedule where your priorities still happen when life doesn't go as planned. What do you mean by creating a backup slot? So you want to have some open space in your life mm. that can absorb anything that you intend to do, yeah. but that life has a way of sometimes making not happen. And so, you know, we all have these priorities we want to spend time on and then we get frustrated because stuff comes up. I mean, an example I've used that somebody told me about is they have an employee that they really wanted to meet with and give some celebratory feedback because they know the person's been going through some rough stuff. And it's like, very important. I want to do this. And it's scheduled for 10 a.m. on Tuesday. And then what happens at 9.30? Like your biggest client has a total blow up. And of course, the 10 o'clock meeting gets moved because that's like the responsible thing to do. But you wanted it to happen. Yeah. And it gets very frustrating when life keeps intervening. So I think for anything that's important in your life, you need the equivalent of a rain date. So it's like you have a summer outdoor party scheduled. If our picnic can't happen Saturday, well, we all know that Sunday is the rain date. And that means you know something can go wrong. You're acknowledging stuff goes wrong. It's right there in the rain date name. But there's no question of whether it will be rescheduled or when it will on the rain date. So if something's important to you, 
create a rain date for it? What's the backup slot for it? And I know it can get unwieldy to sort of have like rain dates for everything. So you can get in the habit of just leaving a lot of open space. I mean, I try to leave Fridays, for instance, as open as possible. So it's there for, you know, absorbing overflow from earlier in the week, or if, you know, an emergency happens and something gets bumped, that's where it goes. Or if some great opportunity comes up, I know I've got space on Friday to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I do something similar. I, I try to not schedule anything Friday or Monday. And I know so for, and for some people, you can't do that, right? But maybe you can only schedule on Friday and Monday, you don't schedule anything in the afternoon, right? Or you just don't schedule Friday afternoon something. But I know the backup slot, like if you're listening to this, what is that look like for you? What's reasonable? What's realistic? Maybe it's every day. Maybe you can have one hour every afternoon. Maybe it's from 4 to 5 p.m. before you know the end of the workday. And you just never schedule anything from 4 to 5. That's it. But that gives you a one-hour backup slot every single workday where you can adjust things or put a spot, you know, move a call that didn't happen earlier that got pushed away, that kind of thing. So I love the backup slot strategy. The sixth rule, this is one to me that that is what leads to fulfillment. One big adventure, one little adventure. So you say each week do at least two things that will be worth remembering. Can you give me some real life examples either from you or from you know the 150 people that took these nine rules and implemented them and what that looks like? Yeah. I mean, I always say I don't have a favorite rule, but this may be the rule that the other rules are jealous of. <laughs> so <laughs> right. yeah, we want to plan little adventures. into. I love routines. Routines are great, but we want to have at least some things that are out of the ordinary so that we remember where our time is going. So some examples, I did the project, the Tranquility by Tuesday project during the spring. And so this was a rule people got kind of in early, mid-April. Okay. And among the things people did, going to the local ice cream place on the first day it opened for summer. So that was an adventure that a lot of people had with their families. Somebody, this was, I guess, Holy Week or something. Somebody played the part of the narrator in their church Holy Week service. That was one. Somebody took a walk to a nearby nature preserve where they had a bunch of blooming flowers, right? That was when like the magnolia trees were in full bloom. And so that's when they went and saw those. So that sort of thing, right? You know, as somebody went for, they were on a business trip and they went for a run in the morning around that city's harbor instead of like just getting up and going to their meetings. So they had this adventure of, of seeing the city. So those were some of the adventures that people had. I love that. And I think that I'm just thinking out loud again, that it could be as simple as just do something that you don't normally do, right? We, we're such, at least most of us, we're creatures of habit. I know for me, I live, you know, every day is kind of like Groundhog's Day in some ways, you know, like I'm doing the same things, going through the same rhythms, same rituals and routines. And just, and yesterday was an example. Yesterday I was driving home and there was a, uh, unfortunately, a, a semi had jackknifed across the highway. Luckily, I mean, nobody was hurt. But I'm in line and my, my wife texts me and she's like, Hey, I don't know if you're in this right now. But in case you're wondering why it's not moving, you're probably gonna be stuck for hours, find a different way home. And thank God for my wife, right? Boots on the ground is, you know, just I would have just sat there for hours and not known why. And so I ended up having to go a different route. It was a long way around. And I'm like, oh, since I'm going this way, I never drive this way. I stopped at Lowe's, which I never normally like doing errands, but I picked up something. I stopped at Michael's. I got my my wife some knitting needles. I heard her talking about wanting to start knitting. So, right. And then, you know, and then I ended up going, where else did I go? I went to this sandwich shop that I I always I've driven by every once in a while, but it's always I'm never like have time. So I got a sand, you know, and but it was what's amazing about it is that. 
like these are super simple. These aren't even adventures, right? But it was just, I did multiple things that I don't normally do. And it just created this different sense of enjoyment and fulfillment. You know, I just, just connecting with people in the sandwich shop. I go, I drive by here. I am so sorry. It's taken me a year to come in, but like, I'm so excited. I've heard your sandwiches are amazing. And it was, and then I was early to pick my kids up from school, which was, I talked to some parents, you know? So like just the adventure could be as simple as doing something you enjoy or doing something that you don't normally do, right? Mixing that up a little bit. All right, so just reviewing those three. It's the three times a week habit, or three times a week is a habit. You don't have to do something every day for it to become part of your identity, but you can do it just three times a week. And three times a week makes it a habit for you. Create a backup slot. I love this, right? A resilient schedule is where you've got time built in to cat. It's like the net that catches the missed appointments or the extra work that you didn't quite get done that you needed to get done. And then uh, and then number six, one big adventure, one little adventure. Each week, do at least two things that will be worth remembering. All right, we got time. Let's do these last three. Take one night for you. So the seventh rule, take one night for you. Commit to an activity you love that is separate from work and household responsibilities. Talk about that one. Yeah, this is advice I've been giving over and over to busy people who are feeling like, you know, I've got good things. I've got a great job. I've got a loving family. Why does my life feel like such a slog? Mm. It's like you need a hobby mm. and okay. not just like a hobby that, okay, I can go fiddle around with stuff at night, whatever. Like you need something that involves a commitment yep. to doing something yep. at a certain time every week so that you do it. Right. So that you are playing in a softball league, you are singing in a choir, you are volunteering somewhere as a regular ship, but somewhere where your absence would be noticed so that you will do it. Like you will do it even when life is busy. You will figure out the childcare or other logistics you need to do and you will get there. And, you know, I have to do a lot of convincing for busy people that this is what they need to do. I couldn't possibly do this. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yes, you can. Yeah. I have talked to many, many busy people who are busier than you know you are, and and they are figuring out a way to make it work just because it is life transforming when you do that. Suddenly, for a couple of hours a week, you are doing something that is not work, something that is not taking care of your family. It is just for you that you find enjoyable, and that can change your entire perspective on the rest of your time. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you, you can, you look forward to it all week You look for me. And I actually did a kind of a hybrid where I included, it became partially a family thing. About three or four months ago, I signed my 10 year old son and I up for Muay Thai. Um, and I think I say that my daughter always says I mispronounce Muay, but <laughs> Muay Thai? I don't Something know. Something like Thai. that. Yes. Um, anyway, I, I'll yeah, butcher it too. So yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but so it's every Tuesday, Thursday, and I love what you said, sign up for it. Right. Because here's the thing. I don't feel like going almost every time because it's just be easier to stay home. Right. Like, yes, I enjoy it. Yes, it's fun, but it's difficult. It's exhausting. Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's been said like nobody likes going to the gym, but everybody loves the feeling of having gone to the gym. Right. Like, I don't like, I I don't like going to Muay Thai. I love that I went to Muay Thai every single time. And the same with my son, but we're both signed up. So every Tuesday and Thursday, his class is 5.45 to 6.30 and I sit there and watch him. And then mine's right at 6.30 and he sits and eats his dinner that his mom, you know, my wife packed him. And But yeah, but I love, I love it. And signing up for it is so important because you need that commitment and you need that accountability, even if it's a hobby. And sometimes, especially if it's a hobby, 
because you're like, well, this doesn't pay the bills, so I don't really need to do it. And if you didn't sign up, well, nobody's going to notice that I'm not there. And so I love those nuances that you shared in taking one night for you. Rule number eight, batch the little things. You said, keep most of your schedule clear from unimportant tasks. Expand on that. Yeah, so we can wind up with a lot of small tasks in our lives that, you know, you can be a champion outsourcer and yet you still wind up with these tasks that you have to do, whether it's, you know, responding to a non-urgent message or signing a permission slip or booking a ticket for something or, you know, all these paying a bill, these different things that you can wind up that you need to do. And I find that, they can weigh on people. They're like, oh, I have so much stuff to do. And then you feel like, you know, you're put upon and all this. And it's like, but the more insidious problem is you might be working on, you know, something really important. You're really getting into the project that you're working on. And then you're like, oh, I've got to go buy that birthday present on Amazon. And then you distract yourself from it. And next thing you know, you're doing a million other things. So create a small window of time to do all these small tasks, all these non-urgent, non-important tasks, ideally during a time when you are not high energy. So mid-afternoon would be good for many people. Create a small window for doing these things. It'll force some efficiencies, but then it's not an option the rest of the time. So you are free to focus Mm. on your deeper work or to relax, right? Like, you know, we can do this on weekends too. say, okay, I'm going to do my chores from 10 to 12 on Saturday. Yeah. If it doesn't happen during that time, it probably wasn't the most urgent thing. But you find yourself looking at a dirty floor at some other point. You're like, no, no, there is a time for that. Yeah. The time is 10 to noon on Saturday. And if it's yeah. not that time, I am allowed to relax. So are you a big fan of time batching and having your schedule like from this time to this time on Mondays, I do this. And then from this time to this time, I typically do this. And then like that, that's how I operate. If I don't have my, you know, for me, the rhythm of like, oh, it's 9 a.m. I know that that's when I do this thing. And I love that before you answer that, just what you just shared in terms of the batching of the the little things, the busy work, if you put that in the afternoon and you follow that rule where I'm not allowed to do these non-consequential activities, the things that don't really move the needle in my business or my life until 3 p.m. in the afternoon, A, it takes it off your mind space, right? Like it removes it from your brain. But also, I love that it takes away your ability to use it as an excuse to not do the things that really matter. Yeah. Which is and what we do, which is, you know, we do that to ourselves. Like we're, we, we get interrupted by a million things in life, but sometimes we are interrupting ourselves. And you asked about batching. I think, you know, it's important to know yourself. And if you find it, it's really good, like this day, I'm going to focus on research and this day is on writing or this day is on publicity or whatever it is people do in their, their business. That can be great. Different people enjoy doing multiple things on any given day. Like you just have to know, do you want to have the variety? Do you like to have the complete focus on one thing? But you can have a variety and still all be doing important stuff. It's just don't do it to yourself that you're like, well, I'm starting to work on this project. And then then five minutes later, you're ordering that birthday present. And then while you're doing that, you're like, oh, yeah, I see that there's an email from a colleague. Let me just answer that. Next thing you know, your time is completely chopped up. Totally. Yeah. And you weren't able to get really deep and focused in any of it. All right. And the ninth and final rule, effortful before effortless. You said do active leisure activities before passive ones whenever time opens up. What do you mean by that? So even busy people have some amount of leisure time. But the problem is a lot of it is short in duration. It is unexpected. Like you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. And you don't have a tremendous amount of energy when it does. And so screen time, fits all of these constraints incredibly well. Like you don't have to plan ahead. It's fine to be on Twitter for two minutes or 20 minutes, right? Like it's, it's all the same. But the problem with that is because this sort of effortless leisure 
is so effortless, it winds up consuming the bulk of our leisure time. And that can feel a little bit like, wow, wow, I'm a busy person. You know, I'm building a career. I'm raising a family. I don't have that much leisure time. And here I am spending the time I do have looking at ads on Instagram. I would prefer not to do that. So I'm not saying you have to give up social media. Like I love social media. I'm not saying you have to give up TV watching. There's a lot of great shows out there. I mean, people should watch them. But if you don't want to spend all your leisure time doing that, whenever a spot of leisure opens up, doing something that just requires a little bit of effort before you switch to the effortless can make both a possibility. So read an ebook for three minutes and then go scroll around on Twitter. You know, at night after your kids go to bed or after you finished your chores, do a puzzle for 15 minutes and then go stream something. Yeah. And one of two things will happen. Either you will be like so taken with your effortful fun that you'll just keep going. Like your yeah. book is awesome. You want to find out what happens. So you forget that Twitter binge anyway. But even if it doesn't, you can still have both kinds of leisure time in your life. Whereas if you start with the effortless, it is very hard to switch over to Totally. Effortful. Yeah. Well, and that's right. So that's where my wife and I... This is a rule that's important for me because my my wife... like I'm lazy in my leisure, right? That's a, There's got to be something there. Lazy leisure, you know? But I'm lazy in my leisure. And and for me, I'm like, I just don't want to do anything. And my wife, thank goodness for her, she is like, no, it's we're getting out, we're going for a hike. We're right, like we're going to see these sites, we're going to do all like she she's effortful, right? And the thing is, kind of like the movie tie or gym example, or I don't uh, nobody likes doing it, but you love having done it. I always am so glad that she got me out of my comfort zone to to do those fun things, to go see that that site, to go to that event, to go to the social thing where I'm like, I don't want to socialize. And then I end up having an amazing conversation with somebody and I feel so filled up, right? And I like the take one night for you and committing to that activity that you love. To me, that that can help with that, right? Like if you've got that weekly commitment once or twice a week to go to your guitar lesson or your art class or your Muay Thai, however you say that, <laughs> then that I think that kind of that almost like that one knocks out the other kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Well, here's what I love about this approach and this book is that and I obviously the book's not out yet. I still haven't read it yet. It comes out October 11th, which when this episode airs, the book will be out, I believe, or right around that time. It's for pre-order now, though I went and looked, you can pre-order it now. And again, for anybody listening, the book is Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. Laura, what I love about these nine rules is that to me, it's a very holistic approach to not managing your time, but optimizing your time. And what I mean by that is most time management books and strategies are really about how do you more effectively get your to-do list done, right? This is how do you have a life where, yes, you are productive. Yes, you get your to-dos done. Yes, you plan your week. But you're also doing things that you love. You're having adventures. You're effortful leisure, right? Like one night a week for yourself. I mean, to me, this is this really holistic approach to optimizing your time in a way where you're going to feel not just like, I got my to-do list done, but like, I lived a great life this week. Right? I'm living a great life. That is the goal. I hope that's yeah. what people will take away from, from this book and from these rules. Awesome. Well, anything else to share? Any last thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I hope your listeners can come visit me at my website, lauravandercam.com. I talk about these topics there frequently. And uh, you can learn more about the books, podcasts, and all those good things. 
Yeah, lauravandercam.com. And again, Goal Achievers, the new book, which you should definitely check out, Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. And that is from Laura Vandercam, who again, this is her sixth book on time management, right? And every time you write a book, you get better and better and better and better. And her first book was a great book on time management. So I would imagine... In fact, Laura, I didn't tell you that, but when I was writing The Miracle Morning and doing research, I came across what the most successful people do before breakfast. So your book, actually, I have to thank you. It informed my knowledge of morning rituals and morning routines and played a part in The Miracle Morning. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, again, Goal Achievers, the new book is Tranquility by Tuesday, available where books are sold. I love you all so much. And I will talk to y'all next week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 